most institutions think that their people, the people helping the institution succeed, is amongst, if not the most important resource that they have to offer. Yet 57% in the U.S., 57% of the 24 or so million people classified as managers receive zero training, zero formal training. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Soft skills training is a different beast than technical training. And Manny Avramides, president and CEO of the American Management Association, knows this well. AMA provides management development and educational services to individuals and organizations in over 100 countries with a primary focus on soft skills. In this episode, number 376, Manny talks with Jeff about how the market for professional development and education has changed and matured during his quarter century working at AMA, how AMA places emphasis on the application of the skills and knowledge it teaches, and how it can say that a very impressive 98% of people who have taken AMA training confirm that they apply what they've learned. Manny also touches on his belief that a leader's success should be measured by the intelligence of their team, the value of leveraging partnerships, and why AMA and Tagoras, the parent company of Leading Learning, formed a partnership to allow membership organizations to get their learners access to AMA's library of 70-plus e-learning modules. For leaders of learning businesses and aspiring leaders, there's lots to glean from this conversation. Jeff and Manny spoke in August 2023. Can you tell us a bit more about the American Management Association as an organization, kind of what the organization really is focused on doing, and and a little bit more about the work that, that you do there? Sure. So I'll give you the long version first and thereafter the shorter version. So the long version is we've been headquartered in New York City as an association, of course, for 100 years. So we're celebrating our centennial this year, and we do business, I'd say 75% of our revenue comes from the U.S., about 25% from abroad. We have 14 offices throughout the world that enable us to service over 100 countries, and our primary product is soft skill training. And it comes in many forms. As far as our core business is multi-day seminars, two, three days of immersive training. We also offer on-site training where we go to our client sites. And that's an important point in that some of our more sophisticated clients, so we service 92% of the Fortune 1000, and we educate approximately a million people a year around the world. And some of them like to receive training that's locally, culturally sensitive in 40, 50 countries at once. And we're positioned in a good way to do that. We'll get into this a little later, I'm sure, but uh, our capabilities enable us to meet customers where they need to be met. So from the most sophisticated custom solution to off-the-shelf asynchronous or e-learning solutions. And the short version of that is, we've worked as an institution very hard for 100 years to perfect training that enables individuals and organizations to realize their potential. That's kind of what we do on a daily basis. And you're interesting, at least to me, as as an association, because, you know, most associations will have a continuing education, professional development arm. They're offering some training, some education in their field or industry. 
but it's usually not their main focus. It's not what, you know, the core of their business, but that, that really is the, the core of your business really to be that professional development and education provider. It is. And as a professional education provider, so continuing at, if you will, so I say we service, you know, 92% of the fortune 1000, but we also service many small businesses, many government entities. We do quite a bit bit of business with the government, not as much with associations as I'd like for us to be doing. And I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later, but we try to spend a lot of time taking the complex and simplifying it so that our client base can consume in a manner that enables them to improve their capability. So, you know, that's a whole lot of words to say. Many associations have a high level of expertise in whatever it is that association focuses on. So let's just say, for example, it's in the medical field or science or HR, project management, whatever it is. But when it comes to the soft skills side, there is a lot of room for improvement. In our case, we focus on the soft side. That's what we do. So we, we not only do it for ourselves, but we do it for our client base. And that's all we focus on. There is no technical aspect, except for the technicalities of building training that works that sticks, that is able to be applied and make a difference and so on. AMA has been around for a hundred years, which is remarkable. There are not a lot of organizations that can say that. So congratulations on that. You. You, yeah, you yourself have been there for more than two decades. And I know you've served a, a number of roles before uh, the, the current role. I, I'd love to hear what are some key ways in which you've seen the market for professional development and education change over that time period? Oh, gosh, it's changed and it's changed a lot. So I remember way back when, when I first started at AMA or when I graduated school, which was probably at this point 30 years ago, there were very few institutions that were known for best in class training happening on their premises. And I'm not talking about training institutions like us. I'm talking about Fortune 50, Fortune 500 companies and so on. And if you were seeking a profession in our space to become either uh, a training and development professional, organization development professional, and so on, it was hard to find schools that taught that sort of thing or issued those sort of degrees. So the audience that we served back then, for lack of a better phrase, was not as sophisticated as it is today. So the level of sophistication has changed significantly, and not just from a technology standpoint, but from a know-how standpoint and how to build training that makes a difference. So today, you'll see many leading institutions have full divisions and spend millions, tens of millions in some cases of dollars on perfecting soft skill development. That was not the case in the past. It, it simply was not. So on a positive note, I think that the industry has become more sophisticated and the level of, of product offering has become a lot better. On the flip side, the industry has become saturated the barriers to entry have disappeared. So where it used to be, you would learn from experts, whether it be in an academic setting or a professional development setting, like, like what AMA provides. Now, some people think Google is good enough. So imagine most institutions think that their people, the people helping the institution succeed is amongst, if not the most important resource that they have to offer. Yet 57% in the US, 57% of the 24 or so million people classified as managers receive zero training, zero formal training. So imagine you're a technical expert, which means you do your job pretty well and you get promoted, or it doesn't mean that you probably do your job pretty well, you get promoted into a manager rank, and now your job is to get things done through others. 
And people just hope because you're a good technical expert, individual contributor, that's all going to happen on its own. Well, that happens even today. So today, what happens? They can go out there and learn on their own, whether it's Google or YouTube or some of the other ways you can receive information. And in their minds, it's good enough. And that good enough, unfortunately, translates into chaos sometimes at the job, not only for the person in the organization, but for the people they work with. So that's kind of catching the tiger by the tail in our industry. And that's where the importance of AMA, spending 100 years perfecting or building a brand that individuals can trust has become a significant differentiator. So our best consumer is an educated consumer who knows the difference between training that works and information sharing or information gathering that perhaps is not classified as training or training that perhaps does not work. And I'll share with you, Jeff, and, and, and I'll pause after this. I have three children that are in their early 20s. They often come to me, 23, 21, and 19, I should say. They often come to me and they say, hey, dad, you know, did you know such and such? I said, well, how'd you find that out? They said, well, I read it on the internet. And they're fairly smart children. I said, well, who wrote the article? And it's just a pause. They have no idea, no idea at all. So they could be learning something that could be totally wrong, applying it in their life or on their job. And they just have no idea that there are institutions out there that curate this information, such as you do and we do, and pretty much bring it to the level where it can be trusted. It's not even on their agenda. It's not even on their radar. So all of that has permeated into our industry as well. So it's almost as if it's the Wild West, but there are some gems out there. And of course, I speak highly of AMA, but it's not just AMA. There are many gems out there that can be relied on. And that, I'll focus on the advancement, is a lot more than where we were a quarter century ago when I started in this profession. I see that same challenge you're talking about around, you know, information and trust. I've got two kids as well, and I've had similar scenarios with both of them. But, you know, unfortunately, I also see it very much in the, in the professional world where people are, you know, citing things and using information that's outdated, was never correct in the first place, but it's still out there. I mean, it's a big challenge. At Tagoras, we're experts in the global business of lifelong learning, and we use our expertise to help clients better understand their markets, connect with new customers, make the right investment decisions, and grow their learning businesses. We achieve these goals through expert market assessment, strategy formulation, and platform selection services. If you're looking for a partner to help your learning business achieve greater reach, revenue, and impact, learn more at tagoras.com services. How is AMA working to meet that challenge to, you know, to, to cut through the noise, be seen as that trusted source? And what other challenges are you seeing that because of how particularly technology has changed the landscape that you're really having to wrestle with and, and rise to these days? Yeah. So there's a lot to unpack there. It's a great question. Hmm. As far as how we're meeting the challenges, with technology, we're leveraging technology. It's enabling us to reach places that otherwise we would not have been able to reach in an effective manner, whether it's asynchronous or synchronous training. And not only enabling us to reach, but enabling our clients to reach their constituencies, whether it's associations with members or organizations with employees and so on. So technology has been leveraged in, in a great way from an e-learning standpoint and a synchronous live online and LMSs and LXPs and so on. From the perspective of how we're wrestling 
with trying to make a difference and engaging people in training that makes sense for them and that's proven to work and so on. So first, when we curate our content, it's not just what we do within AMA. We have over a thousand faculty globally and, and that many more subject matter experts that we leverage. We also leverage our client base. So when you're able to, to engage and service very sophisticated organizations, we play a role, but we also learn together. We learn together on how to solve challenges. So some of what we do is we'll go into an organization and they'll tell us we're not sure of what we need. We need an assessment. And that assessment should generate some level of guidance. And then we'll talk about what makes sense to implement. So literally, we, we, we start from scratch. And you learn when you do that. Once you learn from doing that, you create solutions that work across many, many industries. You start to perfect that and then offer something similar to the general public via our 150 seminars that we have. So there's a lot that we're able to do in making sure that what we offer is representative of a brand that I will share with you, and we're very, very proud of this, 98% of the people that engage in our training have confirmed that they apply what they've learned. Mm. Pause and think about that for a second, because we've all engaged in a lot of training. And if I asked you, have you applied what you learned? In some cases, you don't even remember what you learned. Well, the way we develop our programs, we ensure that there's application in real time and that you're able to apply it on the job. And then we ask you, are you able to apply it on the job? We saw it in the class, but can you do it on the job? And the 98% that, that say that they've applied it is because they were enabled to apply it. The vast majority of the 2% that did not come back and say to us, oh, I could, but my boss simply doesn't allow for me to, right? It, it was a new system they learned or whatever it might be. So we find some comfort in that, but I wish they were able to. And as far as our, our value proposition is concerned, it, we kind of put our money where our mouth is. We offer a 100% money back guarantee for any participant who's attended one of our programs and feels that they did not learn what they came to learn and they're not able to apply it. And you know, not to turn this into a commercial, but I, I will tell you another source of great pride is a good portion of those participants do not want to come to us for training. They're sent by their bosses. Whether they're not able to do their jobs effectively as a manager or as an individual contributor or a leader, and they're sent to AMA for remediation, and they kind of show up and their arms are folded and they really don't want to be there, well, when they leave, more often than not, much more often than not, they tell us we help change their lives and save their careers. So it's a feel-good situation when, when you know that you're working for an institution, that you, you play a small role in making that happen. Right. And I mean, that is something I really I love about AMA. And it's it is there front and center on your website that you say, you know, your content is proven that you ensure results. You were just talking about that. And it's I mean, it's surprising to me. Most training and education providers do not do that. You don't see a guarantee. You don't see anything about ensuring results. And increasingly, the learners, the employers are expecting that. I mean, we ask them about that and they say, yes, I, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to pay money for something in particular, I want to know it actually did something for me. So I mean, it sounds like you're tracking application, which is fantastic. And that's a great number, 98%. Are there other ways that you're able to ensure that you know that you've, you know, kind of achieved what you aim to achieve with the offerings that you have? So as far as training is concerned, there are institutions that share information and then you have your subject matter mastery, you have your application stage, and then return on investment, which is difficult. Uh, proving mm. out return on investment is sometimes not worth the effort, to be very honest with you. There's too many external factors that often impact that. The other way we track is 
some of the people who come to our training, they voluntarily come, or many of them. Others are sent, others it's part of a program and so on. So obviously we would ask for the individuals to give us feedback. And that feedback that we receive from individuals is very strong. Equally important, we go to their institution, uh, the people who are paying the bill, if you will, and we ask them, did we achieve what we sought out to achieve? And that's direct feedback from the customer and the participant who's not always the only customer. And that's also confirmational that we're achieving what it is that we set out to achieve. Those are the two main factors. But the application is, I would say, most important of all. Great. And I want to ask this because you referenced earlier that there's so many people who get into management positions who just really have zero training for it. They're just, they just kind of have to figure it out as they go along. I mean, for those who do get training, traditionally, it's been the MBA, the master's in business administration. That's kind of the degree you get if you're going to be in management, but a lot of people don't have that. And we're seeing, you know, growing demand for other types of credentialing, certification, certificates, micro-credentials, that sort of thing. I know you offer a certification in professional management as part of your library of offerings. How big a, a part of your business is that? And are you seeing that increase in demand for certification or other types of credentialing in the management world? Yeah, so definitely seeing an increase in credentialing. As far as our, what we call our, our certified professional manager or AMA CPM, it was recently launched, actually launched during COVID. And we have thousands of people engaged and I want to say we probably have, give or take, over a thousand who have sat for an exam and, and have been certified. It's a serious certification, but let, let's just go back a little bit and talk about why we developed a certification. Because most of what we do hones in on a specific skill for managers, uh, a better delegator, better critical thinking, successfully managing people, successfully leading people, very narrowly focused, two, three day immersive training that perfects that skill. This was more of a pull than a push. We started to hear from our members of our association and our clients beyond that there was a need for some level of standardization for management. And knowing what we know about management, that's like asking someone to boil the ocean. There is a lot that goes into that. That is not an, an easy lift. And there was a uh, many, many strategic uh, discussions and, and senior level sleepless nights, and we decided to take this on. And when we took it on, the primary reason was we reached out to, I want to say it was about 11, 12,000 people who would have an interest in this sort of thing. And almost 90% of them confirmed that there's a need for standardization and management. So we said, okay, we're going to do this. And we set out to boil the ocean and we did. And we have our MBOC, I should say, or our, our management body of knowledge. And it has been going extremely well for those who are engaging. It is designed to provide a manager with, I'm going to say all, but you can never get to all, almost all of the necessary knowledge that they need to be an effective manager. It doesn't quite get to application though. Mm. So you can arguably study or prepare, test, pass, and have never been a successful manager, but you're book smart, if you will. So is that application stage where we talk a little bit and we try to do our best to ensure that if you've taught the person as best you can, the chances are they will be in a better position to apply. This is something that I think has become a much bigger part of our business. And individuals, they seek out this credential for many reasons, right? For promotional reasons, to learn how to do the job better and where they are. Organizations seek it out for an extreme amount of reasons. They realize that there is a, a significant need in the management ranks for some level of standardization. Now, to not get into too much detail, the reality is 
the organization, its culture, its willingness are all critical to a manager's success. It's not just the education side. So all of that is kind of met together and we have put together this exam. It's about a three hour exam, about 150, 170 multiple choice questions, very similar to what you see in other credentials. And we think it's going to make a difference. And we're seeing quite a bit of interest, by the way, abroad. So we just had quite a few people in, in the Middle East, places like Australia, Asia, Europe, certainly show a lot of interest and in want to sign up. But we initially launched it in the U.S. and it's got quite a bit of traction, but it's fairly new for us. So to put things into perspective for you, when I say thousands of people, you know, we educate about a million people a year. And we offer about 10,000 live instructor-led sessions throughout the world a year. And that's not even talking about licensing our content and e-learning libraries and all that sort of stuff. So we deal with very, very large numbers. Well, I know we're going to have a, a lot of listeners you know, who are interested in standing up a credential of some sort. So hearing your story around that, I think is incredibly helpful. And it sounds like you, know, you really did recognize a market need there, validated that market need, and came out with something that's been uh, quite successful. And I can definitely understand why that sort of certification, a lot of U.S. certifications, in fact, do have resonance internationally, and that seems to be proving out for you. One thing we're really interested in, and when I say we, I mean Tagoras, and then the extended work we do through leading learning is opportunities for collaboration across what we characterize as the learning business landscape, which has you know a variety of different organizations in it. Associations are a big one. And with that in mind, we've recently partnered with you to uh, create a, a, a collaboration by making the AMA's e-learning library available to other associations to offer to their members more than 70 modules focusing on you know core management, business, leadership type topics. Organizations can license that, put it onto their own learning management system, and just rapidly expand their online catalog with high-quality content. I'd love to get your perspective on you know, why AMA decided to make the e-learning library available in this way and, and how you think about working with other associations. Sure. So the e-learning library is one of the arrows in our quiver, right? And, and the question was, how do you ensure that an e-learning asset is going to be aligned with a brand that promises to deliver behavior change? And I, I will share with you, and obviously in your audience, the starting point of how e-learning is derived is critical. So I know a lot about how e-learning is created and a lot about many leading institutions. And the reality is some of them do a fantastic job, but some of them create it based on an article or a thought. Our e-learning originates from our best products. So training seminars that have worked and worked very well. So what we did was we challenged our internal staff and said, can we deliver 20-minute e-learning assets that take a portion of these multi-day seminars and teach only that portion? Right? Get us to the point of subject matter mastery where they're engaging and there's a quiz that, that everyone passes because it keeps on regurgitating if you get the question wrong and so on. And, and we did that. And one of the things that's that, to be quite open with you that's always challenged me is we serve so many people in the world. We don't serve enough associations. And I challenged our executive team and said, how are we going to reach out to associations? And how are we going to provide a library that's meaningful, a library of educational assets that's not only meaningful, but an affordable price point, because we are expensive. And in partnering with you, Jeff, 
the reality is you're the conduit to reaching out to a lot of these associations. And, you know, if, if when we talk, we'll talk business for a second, we talk about the numbers and what we would be offering this at, the numbers don't make sense because it's a 90% discount off of what we sell to the public or the corporate world. But this is special for associations. It's aligned with our mission of educating people and helping them realize their potential. And I realize, and I'm, I'm a member of, of boards and so on, and I engage with associations quite a bit. Usually when I speak with association leadership, there is a degree of excellence that's unmatched in their specific profession, but there is a need for soft skill development. I think that we can fulfill that need. Together, we, we can help meet the needs, not only for the association and their own personnel, but more importantly, or equally important for the membership of those associations. That's what this program is meant to do. And I think that we're onto something, and I think we're going to help a whole lot of people uh, get better within their roles. You just covered uh, a lot of this in a way, but I'll try to encapsulate it here. You know, if I am the director of learning, the VP of learning, whatever that position is at an association, I see this content, I'm thinking, yes, this is a good idea. It's going to help us rapidly expand our library with high quality content, but I've got to go convince the CEO. I've got to go convince the board to do this. You are a CEO, you sit on boards. What are the arguments that person needs to make, the bullets they need to walk in to say, this is something we need to do right now as, as a member benefit for our organization? Well, the first is you're going to, if in fact the association chooses to do this, they're going to affiliate with a brand that's fairly well known within the space. It's going to be at, a, at the value proposition, not only the learning itself, but the price point is very likely to be unmatched. And finally, I would say, is there a need? Right? It all comes down to how will the members benefit? So what I would say to an association is first confirm that there's a need with your membership base. And if that membership base confirms the need, I think the pathway to success is fairly easy to implement these assets that, that can make a meaningful difference in, in people's lives. And I have to tell you, Jeff, full disclosure, I, I mean, we, we've had conversations outside of this podcast. I don't know if I ever told you this, but my introduction to AMA was pre-AMA. In my first job, I was sent to an AMA training program. And we're going way back now. It changed my life. And I cannot emphasize enough at that time what a difference it made. And then I was sent to another program and it changed my life even more. And I didn't stumble across AMA until back in those days, I saw in the Sunday Times that they were offering a job and I decided to apply for it. So I'm also a product of AMA's training, if you will. And I believe that this library can do the same for many people. We as AMA just haven't done a good enough job reaching out to the associations and their members as we could have. And I think we're onto something now, though. Well, I'm so glad we got that story. I was not aware of that. You are the poster child for AMA in, in so many ways and for the education and training that, that you offer. Now, associations are one place for collaboration out there in this sort of broader learning business landscape. We'll definitely provide information in the show notes to this episode about how you can learn more about the e-learning library and talk with us, license it if you want to, and make that available to your members. Another area we've been looking at, though, that I'd love to ask you at least a little bit about before we wrap up today is the academic world. I feel like there's so much opportunity for collaboration between associations and academia and we don't feel like we see enough of it or enough sort of innovation in how associations and academia are uh, interacting with each other. I know you do have partnerships in the higher education community. Can you talk a little bit about how AMA partners with colleges and universities? Sure. So the way we go to market today is primarily public seminars. They can be delivered. We're talking $2,800, $3,000 price points. They can be delivered at our premises 
or it could be private for you. We also license content. So the content of those seminars, if you have a well-built institution where you have training capabilities, we train your trainers to train our seminars for your constituency. We meet many universities there where they have the professors, if you will, we ensure that they have practitioner experience because that's part of our value proposition. And we train those trainers to train our programs, whether it be for their grad students or uh, mostly for the continuing ed arm. So they license and they train within their own environment. We also have quite a few institutions and these institutions vary anywhere from what you would classify as a top 10 in the world to a community school, which also serves a different kind of purpose. And we help their own administration where they license or they, they engage us to train their own people to become better at what they do. And they also resell our programs within that environment. So to their constituency, their client base. So we're talking alumni, we're talking grad students and so on. Those are the primary ways that we engage. But I will tell you that there are some cases where I'm just thinking of some regional agreements that we have where there is a bundle of schools that have access to our digital assets. And there's a three-year license where they, they gain that access. And we usually, our price points are much different for the academic world than it would be for the corporate world for many reasons. Mm -hmm. So there, there's quite a few ways. I, I, I would say that from an academic standpoint, the academic world serves an extremely important role in, in, our, in our society. I think we all know that. Where AMA meets the academic world is once people graduate, many schools have these continuing ed arms. But those continuing ed arms in some cases are phenomenal. They're fantastic. We all know of them. In other cases, they're not strong enough. Those folks usually come to us to bolster that continuing ed arm. Those who have well-developed the Harvards of the world and so on, they don't need for us to help them with their continuing ed arm. They're just fine. But the many other universities in between, they leverage us quite a bit and pretty much leverage our content. That's what they do. Right. I could see how that would be very valuable. And I think it's probably an opportunity for many associations that they're that are not taking advantage of right now. Now, switching gears a bit as we um, wrap up, we always like to ask guests about their own approach to lifelong learning, given that we're a show uh, that's focused on learning. And because you're in a top leadership position, I'd like to frame the question a bit differently than I normally would. And namely, how have you gone about learning to be a leader and what advice would you give to aspiring leaders? You know, what should they do when it comes to developing their leadership skills and knowledge? So I'll talk personally about how I approach learning. And my advice would be surround yourself with smart people, always smarter than you are in their given profession. Always be willing to learn and always put people in a position to teach. So as a CEO, when I enter a room, I can suck all the oxygen out or I can create a whole lot of oxygen in conversation. Where I learn most is when I engage with a peer group and I actually engage with this group twice a year of non-competing entities. And there's a big difference between going to a non-competing entity conference or gathering versus sitting in a room with all of the people who are trying to go after the same business you are. You're much, much more closed and closer to the vest when you know your competitors in the room. When I've engaged with people from outside of our industry, that's where some of the most innovative thinking comes out. And innovative thinking that we can apply back here at AMA. I'll give you a very quick example. I, I sit in a CEO group that we run actually, and a CEO of a prominent airline also was part of this group. So I tell you, we schedule 10,000 meetings a year globally. What they use to schedule their flights that are subject to weather 
and other type of changes and empty planes or overbooked planes and so on. It was a platform that we were able to leverage and be more innovative in the way we schedule here at AMA. Now, if you said to me, Manny, well, why didn't you think about that? I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I would have never talked to this person had I not engaged in that environment. The other thing I would say is measure, measure the success of a CEO or a leader by the intelligence of his or her people. Most important thing of all, if the person were to leave tomorrow, is the institution going to be okay? So I spent a lot of time thinking about that. And I ensure that the institution will be okay. And I'll leave you with one final thought. I'm going to take you backwards now in thinking. So we all have these smart devices, these iPhones, and the whole world is in our hands if we want it to be. The reality is with a lot of this technology, algorithms are created and you're fed information or stories that the system, if you will, thinks that you want to be fed. So AI, machine learning technology enables the system to produce what they think you want to read. The challenge with that is you only have so much time in the day and you become very narrow when you're reading, even when you have digital subscriptions. So I can tell you that the one thing I've done recently, and this is based on feedback that I, I received from a mentor of mine who's a CEO of a much larger company, I actually buy the paper once in a while. The actual newspaper, the New York Times, the Financial Times, the Wall Street Journal. And the reality is, as I flip through the pages, and here in New York City, you can kind of find them on the street on your way to the office. As I flip through the pages, I come across stories that I read that make me smarter and better at what I do. I would have never read these stories if I didn't turn to the paper. I just wouldn't have been exposed to them. And I didn't have the time to go find them. And I'm not disciplined enough to kind of flip through everything on my, my, my iPhone that's about six inches. So that's something from a learning perspective that I would warn people to not become too narrowly focused and make sure that they explore beyond what's fed to them on a daily basis. Manny Avramides is president and CEO of the American Management Association. In the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 376, you'll find a link to the AMA website where... What a rarity in this day and age, you can find a phone number that will be answered by a human being during regular business hours. If you represent a membership organization and you're interested in learning more about how to add AMA's e-learning library of 70 plus e-learning modules to your catalog, go to leadinglearning.com AMA. There you can get more details and submit a request for us to follow up with you. Jeff and I would be grateful if you would rate the Leading Learning Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you find the show valuable, because ratings help us show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And please spread the word about Leading Learning, whether in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a colleague, a personal email, or on social media. In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 376, you'll find links to connect with us on X, formerly Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks for listening and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Mm -hmm.